0: All right, I'm here with John Urbanchuk, who just finished a presentation here at a very well-attended uh, seminar here at the National Biodiesel Conference on the food versus fuel issue, which is extremely important. Now, John, a lot of people in the Midwest may recognize your name. Uh, give us a little bit of your of your background.
1: Well, I've been working in the renewable fuels area, both ethanol and biodiesel, for about the past 20 or 25 years, uh, working with people like the U.S. Renewable Fuels Association, National Corn Growers Association, several of the state corn Grower and Soybean Associations, National Biodiesel Board, U.S. United, Soy- United Soybean Board. So I, I've been doing these kinds of analyses in, in agriculture and, and renewable fuels for quite some time.
0: And now your, your company now is a LECG. Tell right. me a little bit about that um,
1: company. We are a global expert services consulting firm, which means we're a big firm, global, we're publicly traded, and we provide a, a wide range of consulting services. My area is agriculture and, and renewable fuels.
0: Now, uh, tell me a little bit, John, about what your main message was uh, during this, this seminar to the attendees.
1: Well, what I wanted to do was to to have people focus on what's going on with regard to food prices and then what are some of the factors behind why food prices are increasing and to get them to understand and, and realize that that when you take a look at the, that the increase in, in raw commodity prices, corn and soybeans particularly, they play a relatively small p- role in determining retail-level food prices. And in fact, the work that we've done indicates that, that energy prices, uh, everything from uh, all of the energy components, have roughly twice the impact that, that, that any individual commodity such as corn or soybeans do in determining retail food prices.
0: Well, and that's very significant in the fact that we saw fruit and vegetable prices go up pretty significantly last year, and they don't have corn or soybeans in them.
1: Well, that's correct. When you look at the, the, the total CPI basket, the foods that are directly determined in large part by, by – or, or where corn and soybeans play a major role, let's put it that way, uh, only account for 25 percent of the food basket. Um, uh, so, you know, there's a lot of other things that are determined by, by, uh, by, by other factors.
0: Now, it's become, I guess, in some ways somewhat of a myth that's been perpetuated in the media that it's the biofuels industry that's driving our food prices. What can um, the biofuels industry do to help educate the public, educate the media about the real reason?
1: Well, really, it comes down to education. It comes down to to being informative, providing good, solid, uh, objective information with regard to the role that, that that biofuels play and the role that the demand for the basic commodities play in biofuels and their role in, in in the overall food sector. It's really communications more than anything else. Keep in mind that we've got some very, very well-funded uh, opposition. The, not everybody's wild about the area issue of biofuels, and, uh, and our, our critics are looking for every piece of ammunition they can get, and they don't necessarily let the facts stand in their way.
0: <laughs> well, that's true. Now, what about the concept of can we produce both food and fuel?
1: Well, I think we obviously can. And, uh, and let's talk about it in the context of ethanol, and then we'll talk about biodiesel. When you're making ethanol from grain, as we do in the United States, you don't use the full feed value of the, of the corn to make ethanol. You're producing a byproduct, distiller's grains, <coughs> excuse me, that have a, a it's a medium protein uh, a feed ingredient that has significant value. Uh, and, and as we make more distiller's grains People realize that there are markets for other co-products such as oil. If you can take the corn oil out of the uh, distillers' grains, you make it more palatable for uh, for swine, for example. We can increase the use of that, and that will help offset uh, uh, the the loss of corn for ethanol. So that's one one example. In the area of of biodiesel, uh, we have other feedstocks, alternative feedstocks. The corn oil, for example, that can come out of the ethanol process makes an excellent biodiesel feedstock. So Yes, we can have both food and fuel. It's not an either-or situation.
0: Now, when it comes to both ethanol and biodiesel, basically corn and soybeans have, have uh, brought, brought these fuels to, to the party. They brought them to the dance. And, and it looks like some of the other. And the reason for that was to help find alternative uses for their products and increase their prices that has happened now and we're looking at some of these other alternative additional feedstocks do you think what kind of impact is that going to have in the future you know when they have got corn and soybean producers who are looking at these higher prices think it's going to come down or you think we're going to keep going up?
1: Well, I think prices, prices go up and prices come down. I've been doing this long enough to realize that there are cycles. Uh, I think we're likely to see high prices probably for the next 18 months, maybe two years. And then I think we'll see some softening. Uh, as a consequence of one, <coughs> some slowdown in demand, but obviously we'll see increased production as well. So, you know, what goes up comes down, and what's down eventually goes up. Um, so from that perspective, I, th- I think we're looking at at, at, at some period of, of higher-than-normal, if you will, prices. Um, but the, 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 the other thing to keep in mind is that, that we've got a renewable fuel standard now that, that is very specific in terms of providing for 15 billion gallons a year, or 15 billion gallons of ethanol from corn, and then providing incentives for other feedstocks, which would include bio-based biodiesel, to take take to come into play after that. So that combination of high prices that is going to stimulate investment and stimulate activity now and the legislative action that's going to help preserve that market, I think will provide for growth in looking for alternatives and improving costs of production and making sure that this industry 10 years from now will be far more able to stand on its own feet than than it was 10 years ago.
0: Of course, the livestock producers have been complaining a lot because of the prices being high. Um, what's your message to them?
1: Well, be flexible um, uh, in, in terms of, uh, of accepting alternative feedstocks and looking for ways that you can improve your, your production economics. Uh, and, and, and realize that this isn't going to last forever. Uh, so that um, I think flexibility more, more than anything else is the rule.
0: And ultimately, doesn't this whole thing benefit everybody in the rural areas in the long run?
1: Oh, absolutely it does. It absolutely benefits everybody. The whole agricultural sector benefits. As we produce more feed grains, we produce more soybeans and soybean meal, the livestock and poultry industry is eventually going to benefit from that.
0: Very good. Thank you very much, John.